0: I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew 25. You're going to need to turn if you have a Bible. The Scripture will not be up on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 25. We are going to begin reading in verse 14. I'll give you a moment to turn. It's very possible that you've come here this morning uh, invited by someone. This is uh, Invite a Friend Sunday for us, and we're having a dinner afterwards. And uh, you have not considered uh, very often any of the words of Jesus. It's very uh, possible that you've heard of Jesus and you have a good idea of who he is or at least who Christians believe that he is. And perhaps you've heard some good teachings from Jesus, like we should love our enemy or turn the other cheek. Um, But the fullness of Jesus' teaching is just not something ...that you've ever encountered, or perhaps you've only come to church sporadically, and while you've heard some things about Jesus, it's been quite a while since you've heard a message directly from Him. Well today, we're going to look at something that Jesus said, so if you come to this from no perspective whatsoever, a blank slate as it were, you can be assured this morning that you are sitting under the teaching, not me, but of Jesus, in this passage that we're getting ready to read that most of the world's scholars would ascribe to one of the best teachers who ever visited our planet, who ever walked upon the face of the earth in Jesus Christ. So I hope, if for no other reason, that you'll pay attention and consider these words, rather than assuming you understand the message of Jesus on your own, and take him for what he says in these verses that we're going to read. So Matthew chapter 25 I'll begin reading in verse 14 and I'll just read a section. Now, This is a story that Jesus told. A parable, a story. Verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own Ability, And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one uh, went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. So... He who had received the five talents came, and he brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord." He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has ten talents, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the unprofitable servant "...into the outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." Now, I don't expect you to have perfectly followed along with all of that. Uh, it's used some terminology that we don't use a lot. So let's just review the situation briefly, if we will. There is a man who owns a lot, and he is taking a trip. Now, that's something that we can relate to. Uh, even if we don't take a lot of trips ourselves, we're at least familiar with the idea of vacations and trips and whatnot. Now, he could have been taking a trip for business. Maybe he was going to go set up some new commercial enterprise in some far-off region. Maybe he was just going on a long sabbatical, a big vacation where he was going to live it up and enjoy a summer, whatever it was. But he was a wealthy man. He had a lot of possessions. And in his absence, taking this trip, he wanted to make sure that his possessions were well managed. And so he decides to appoint managers from those who work with his his possessions every day, you know, people who work for him at his business or at his company. He appoints managers and he said, look, I'm going on a trip. I'm gonna be gone for a while, and I want each of you to manage a certain amount of my stuff while I'm gone. In fact, it says that he divides up their uh, the the stuff that he gives them according to their ability. So he knows these guys. The first guy, we don't have a name. I don't, we could call him Steve if we wanted to. Was a really good manager. He was very talented. And so the guy, you know, the guy who's going on the trip, he leaves him with five talents. And right away we say, well, what is a talent? A talent was a term for weight. It was a weight, like we would call something in pounds, or if you were really strange and preferred a European term, kilograms, which we don't, but we would call pounds. A talent was an old form of weight in the Roman Empire. And so what he's talking about is a weight of money, a weight of, a weight of something of value. So he leaves a certain amount of money with this guy, five talents worth. And he says, look, do a good job with it while I'm gone. When I come back, I'll I'll see how you did. And he leaves two talents worth of money, possessions of wealth, in the hands of somebody else. And finally... One talent worth of money, possession of wealth in the hands of someone else. He's going to make a trip, so he leaves stuff in someone else's hands. Um, I don't have that kind of wealth. I don't know about you. Uh, If I take a trip, it's pretty much just going to be like it was when I come back. Best case scenario, I don't need to leave anybody to manage vast sums of money or anything like that. But not so with this guy. He was a master. He was a powerful guy. He owned lots of stuff. And then he takes his trip. This is not unusual in the world. Wealthy people have managers and financial stewards and things like that uh, all the time. And they, they have to have people account for their possessions. Think of a guy like Bill Gates or Elon Musk, the people who own so much stuff. There's no way they're keeping track of the minutia of all of the houses and properties and cars. Like I don't think, I don't think those guys are taking their car to get their oil changed. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think someone is doing that for them. They have people who are managing the cars and people who are managing the houses, et cetera. So we're familiar with the concept, even if it's not something that we probably personally relate to. That's what's happening in the story. And then we get to the issue of their performance. And we're told that one guy, uh, the one who's most trustworthy, the Steve of the scenario, he does very well. He goes out and he does what his master, and we don't know what kind of business this guy ran. Maybe he ran like a wheat and barley business, you know, and he's trading in the commodities of grains and agri. Maybe he's trading in oils and stuff. I don't know. There are lots of different kinds of businesses. It's not important to the story. But this guy, Steve, he does a great job. You know, he... <laughs> I'm just needling Pastor Steve now. Just, I just like to... Every once in a while, I'm getting amusement as I see him shake his head in the front row. But, but this guy's doing well. And so he continues when his master leaves just as if his master had been there. He keeps trading and selling. We don't need to think he did anything out of the ordinary. He kept the business running, just as he had been told by his master. You know, we know the guy had worked with his master for a while because it said the master understood the people's ability and so he didn't give him more than he could handle. He said, I'm going to give you what you can manage. And the guy just carries on and keeps going. And so that when his master comes back, there's a profit. He'd actually doubled what he'd originally been given to manage, which sounds pretty good to me. Now, I don't know how long he had to do it, but he, he was faithful. He was working hard and trading. Such is the same with the guy who was given two talents. He's faithful. He goes about his business just as his master had wanted him to do. He does the best he can, and he gets some profit uh, as well. But then the third guy... The third guy doesn't perform well at all. He takes what he's been given and he goes out and he buries it in a field. Now that sounds really strange to us, but if you were here last week and the weeks prior, you understand that burying something in a ground is a very safe way in the ancient times of storing something. They didn't have banks. You couldn't go get a safety deposit box down at the local bank. And so if you had something valuable and your main concern was not having it stolen or not having it taken from you, you might go bury it in a place where you were the only one who knew where it was. You know, some of you uh, probably have things in uh, the, you know, some ice cream box in your freezer because you think, if the burglar comes, he's never going to look here for the family Jewel. So you're not to, or hidden under your mattress, so to speak, or whatever it is. That's similar to that. This guy is not trying to carry on with his master's business. He's not out doing what his master had taught him to do or commissioned him to do. He's not managing anything. He just goes and buries it in the ground. And so he doesn't perform very well. And when the master comes back, he says, hold on a second. What have you been up to this whole time while I've been gone? And the answer is nothing. Whatever he was doing... It wasn't what the master had told him to do because he had done nothing with the master's possessions. And his reason for not doing anything is, well, I was afraid I knew you to be a very hard man. You know, and you go out and you, 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 know, you do things like take advantage of people. And I, Now, we're not to believe that that's what this master actually did, but it shows how little this servant knew of his master's business. He, know, he neither understood his master to where he thought this would be an acceptable thing to do, nor did he understand how to go about the business that his master had given him to do. So he just goes and he buries it in the ground. He evidently was not a very good learner. Because for whatever amount of time he had spent in his master's household, learning how to manage his master's possessions, he had retained and implemented none of that knowledge. You know? Like a a football team who spends every day going to practice, and they're being told, do this, do this, do this, do this, and it's time to play the game, and they have retained none of those instructions. They, they, They don't do any of it. This is how this guy has somehow behaved. You know, he doesn't do anything that he's been told to do. And so his master comes back and he says, look, at the very least, even even if you were so scared that you were afraid, I can't possibly do what my master has taught me to do with this trading and buying and selling that the other two guys had done. Even if you were so afraid, at the very least, you could have given it to the money lenders so that they could have given me some kind of interest back, some kind of return on this whole thing. But you didn't even do that. You buried it in the ground because then you could wipe your hands of all responsibility. And you went on and you spent the rest of this time as if I'd actually given you a six-month vacation with nothing to do. Now that's their performance. And then they get the evaluation in the story. He tells the first person, well done, good and faithful servant. The second person, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Why good because they had gone out and they had done their best to do what the master had said why faithful because they had worked hard they had been faithful to what the master had commissioned them would they have been faithful if they had not made a profit i think probably so did they go out and did they try to do to the best of their ability what their master had told them to do yeah it happens that they were profitable he doesn't say well done you doubled my money he's saying well done good and faithful servant you you're my servant You tried to be faithful to what I told you to do. You've done well. And to the guy who doesn't, he looks at him and he says, you are wicked and lazy. You didn't try to be honorable and do what I'd left you to do. You were wicked and you were lazy. You didn't work hard at any of this task. And while the two are committed, they're told, now enter into the joy of your master. You'll be given more now to manage. You've done a great job. Come and, come and enjoy the reward that you've earned. The third one is told to be gone. In the parable, he's cast out into outer darkness. It is a picture of hell and judgment. Because we have in the language there, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So clearly, the parable is changing, and we see it as a metaphor, for how our lives will be evaluated by the Lord Jesus. Now, what are the points of the story? Let's go through them. Okay, point number one, Jesus will return. Jesus will return. It is possible to have a view, uh, you know, maybe you're sitting here today, what exactly is Christianity? What exactly is the Christian faith? It is possible to have a view of Christianity in our world that is totally oblivious the teaching that Jesus will return. Some of the songs that we sing, uh, we sang this morning at the beginning of the service may seem very strange because you know what? They are talking about the return of Jesus. But it's possible to go to church And to hear messages about, this is how you be a good person. And to hear from your parents, this is how you be a moral person. And to hear from your boss, this is how you be a good worker. And to watch television and get an idea of what the culture says a good person is. And it's possible to do all of that and think, well, being a Christian is basically just trying to be a good person. You know Jesus has come and he's told us how we can be better people and so we should be trying to listen to Jesus so we can learn how to be better people. But when you read the Bible, you find an entirely different message. You see, the Bible says that Jesus came once to deal with our sin at the cross and he is coming again to rule and to reign and to judge those who are on the earth. You see, the whole point of this story is there is a master who is going away That's Jesus at the cross, resurrecting and ascending into heaven, but the same master is going to return. Now you can see this even in the context of the story. If you have your Bible still open to Matthew 25, just look up at verse 1. It's on the screen, but it might be pretty small to try to read. Uh, There is a parable, a story that Jesus tells, even before this story in the same chapter. See, this story that we've read... It's part of a dialogue that Jesus is having. He's in the middle of teaching, and we have read just a small portion of the teaching, but this isn't where he started, if you will. This is the middle of the, of the instruction of the conversation. And if you look at the opening verses of chapter 25, it says the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 versions. So he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. What will heaven be like? Heaven will be like the Lord Jesus returning to the earth that's the idea. And the story that he that he tells here is about 10 virgins who are waiting on a wedding night of a specific bride for the bridegroom to show up and all the wedding activities to begin. That's not how weddings take place in our culture. That's how weddings take took place in their culture. They wait up all night and at some point the bridegroom would come and the, and these these 10 young ladies had one job for in service to the bride they're supposed to wait until the bridegroom showed up and they fall asleep and are unprepared and the story is He shows up and they're not ready and they don't get to go to the wedding. They don't get to be a part of the celebration. And then in verse 13, which is the last verse before we read this story, Jesus says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. See, the whole thing is about Jesus, who is the Son of Man, that's one of his titles, is going to return and we should be expecting Jesus to return. Similarly, the very last verse of all of this, or the, the, the very preceding verse after the story that we just read, verse 31. We read through verse 30. That's the parable that we've read. Verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on His throne. So Jesus is saying, heaven is not some spiritual idea that people have. The kingdom of heaven is not some spiritual concept of how to be a good person, or how to be close to God. Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The Son of Man goes away. Jesus goes away. He entrusts people to be good disciples and good followers, and he is returning, and he will judge. That's what it's going to be like. This is not a a strange concept to the Bible. It's actually impossible to read through the Scriptures without getting this concept here. And so I just want to share some Scriptures with you about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is from John 14. This is uh, verses 1 through 3. Jesus talking in another passage. Here's Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. This is Jesus on his way to the cross. So he's telling him, I'm getting ready to go away. I'm getting ready to go to, go to heaven. I'm going to die on the cross that's dealing with your sin for you, purchasing your forgiveness at the cross. I'm going into heaven where my Father is, but I don't want you to think that this is the end. I'm going to come again. That's a promise. Um, Again, Matthew 26, uh, next chapter in our story here, Jesus says very clearly. um, It says Jesus kept silent. He's under trial. Uh, In this scenario, he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's been arrested, and he's being questioned in a courtroom. And in the courtroom, they say, tell us plainly, are you the Son of God? And Jesus says, uh, nevertheless, as I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. I am going to be coming back. In Matthew 16, verse 27, Jesus announces well before his crucifixion, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father and with His angels, and He will reward each according to His work. This is a recurring theme throughout Jesus' own teaching. If you want to know how Jesus taught, if you want to know what Jesus taught, He taught that we were sinners, that we needed to be forgiven of our sins, so He was going to a cross to do that. He was going to give His life to pay for our sin. And that after he had ascended into heaven and defeated the grave so that we can have a hope of life after death, he was going to return. This was his message. And when he returned, the the the, the, the teaching of Jesus is is clear, unequivocally clear. When he returns, there will be judgment and the establishing of a kingdom here on the earth. This is not, by the way, just Germain... To Jesus' teaching, the rest of the Bible as well. Here's the book of Hebrews in chapter 9, verses 27 through 28, and it says, as it is appointed for man once to die, we know that, I'm going to die, you're going to die, just as it's appointed, everybody's going to die, and after you die, there is a judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Why did Jesus go to a cross and die? Because we face death and judgment. So Jesus himself died so that when we face judgment, we can be forgiven by what he did at the cross. That's why he went to the cross. He didn't just go to a cross, you know, for no reason. People don't just crucify the Son of God for no reason. The Son of God is powerful. He could have resisted. He could have said no. He could. Have, but he went to the cross willingly. Why? Because it's appointed for man once to die. Reggie Osborne is going to die. And when I die, I will be judged. I'm going to give an account for how I lived. So Christ went to the cross. That's what it says here in Hebrews nine twenty-eight. He went to the cross to bear my sin. I am not a perfect man. I can't work my way into heaven. I can't be good enough to go into heaven. Doesn't matter how many young kids I try to make an influence in their life on. It doesn't matter how, many, much, how much money I give to various good causes. doesn't matter how much I volunteer, how great of a dad or a, how great of a husband or how great of a son I am. None of that. It, look, that's all maybe very noble, but I am still a sinner and my sin is still a problem with a righteous God. And so God has sent his son Jesus to deal with that sin. And that's what this verse tells us. Because it's appointed for each man once to die, and after that judgment, so Jesus went to a cross. To bear the sins of many. But then look at what it says. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So even when it speaks of Jesus going to a cross for us to deal with what we know we must be dealt with. I know I'm not a perfect person. I know I'm a sinner. Went through a, a basketball season. Have you ever tried to coach kids in a sport before? Just a quick show of hands. Have you ever tried to coach kids in a sport before? I'm just curious. Yeah. Anybody ever lost their temper doing that? Okay. I'm glad I'm not alone. I have too. I have too. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says outbursts of wrath are sinful. Now here I'm a pastor, and I lose my temper, and I have an outburst. That's what I would call yelling at 14 and 13-year-olds for not doing what they're supposed to. I have an outburst of anger. Sin. sinned. You know what I try to do? after I try to tell him, look, I shouldn't have done that. I, you know, I screwed up here. I did a bad job here because I'm a sinner. Jesus went to the cross to deal with all of my sin. So I don't have to be afraid of any of it. I don't have to be terrified of any. I don't have to wonder, am I going to hell because I went too far or because I've done too much? But that's not the end of the story that Jesus went to the cross. The message is he went to the cross to deal with sin. When he comes again, he's going to establish a kingdom on the earth. He's going to reconcile things. And that's what this parable is about. This comes up in the book of James. Just show you a couple more. James says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. (laughs) I won't read the rest yet because I know I'm taking a long time. How about Philippians? Paul writing in Philippians. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Tomorrow's President's Day. We're told in the Bible to pray for our leaders, but my true citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, this is Christianity. Not be a good person. Not never do anything wrong. Not pretend to be a good person who never does anything wrong. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, I know I'm not a good person. Even when I try to be, I know I'm the jerk who gets mad and loses my temper with a bunch of 14-year-olds. I know I'm not a good person. I'm trying to deal with my sin, but I trust Jesus who has dealt with my sin at the cross. I trust that I'm forgiven by Jesus, by what He's done. And now I'm living trying to be obedient as I anticipate and await his return. That's what being a Christian is. Um, I want to tell you a really strange thing that I listened to this week. Um, Some of you may or may not know who Joe Rogan is. He is the most listened to podcast speaker in the world. He makes hundreds of millions of dollars for sitting down and talking to people for two and three hours at a time. By the way, not recommending that you go listen to that. Lots of profanity, lots of stuff you should not be listening to, lots of bad subjects. And yet, I saw this quote, and I was startled by it. Because as I'm listening to an episode with Aaron Rodgers, that's how you reel me in. We're going to have an episode where we talk to one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And I'm thinking, okay, I would like to hear what Aaron Rodgers and if you don't know who Aaron Rodgers is, not, not that one, but the famous one, okay? We have an Aaron Rodgers, not quite famous, but um, just among us. But he's, you're famous in our hearts, Aaron, but the, the, the real famous Aaron Rodgers, right? He's listening to him, and they're and they start and, and they're talking about how bad things in the world have gotten. And they're just on a litany of all these things that are wrong in the world. And I want you to listen to this quote. Now, Joe Rogan is an atheist, and Aaron Rodgers is not a Christian. Listen to this quote. I'm, I'm just going to read it to you. I think sometime, I think as time rolls on, people are going to understand that they need to have some sort of divine structure to things, some sort of belief in the sanctity of love and of truth. And that probably comes from religion. He says, unfortunately, a lot of very intelligent people, they dismiss all the positive aspects of religion because they think the stories are mere superstition, fairy tales that they have no place in the modern world. They think that we're inherently good, not sinners. A lot of people think we're inherently good people. They think that your ethics are based on our own moral compasses and that we all have a good moral compass. And then he says, That's not necessarily true. I'm thinking, keep preaching, Joe. Thank you. And then he says, This it's a messed-up world we live in. And here's the part where I stopped as I'm walking through my bedroom listening. He said, We need Jesus. This is not a Christian, this is an atheist. <laughs> we need Jesus. And then he says, For real, like if you come back now like Jesus, if you're thinking about coming back right now, it's a good time for our world. Now is a good time because we're kind of doomed. It might be that we reach a certain point where we're so unmanageable and so chaotic and something comes down, it has to give us some guideline. Which, by the way, is what the false Jesus will come to do. But that's another sermon. Then he says, all religious visions are like, this is how you should live and this is what you should do and you should follow a greater power that controls things and keeps things together and there are laws to adhere to that will make life much better for us as humans and on the earth. And then the quarterback answers, everything we do matters. I think atheists can find their own religion. It might be like science or climate change or whatever, but to not believe in a higher power means that really nothing matters and ultimately I live and die and that's it. So whatever purpose you might have, it's short-lived. It's just for this. There's nothing else going on and I have a hard time with that because I believe in a seen world and an unseen world and there are forces of good and forces of evil and there's a purpose for all this and there's reasons why we're doing this. There's a lot of opportunities to do this. I would like to get it right this time around. This is a quarterback. He's not a preacher. It's a quarterback. And then... The quarterback says, if there is the Christianity part and Jesus wants to come back and save us, it would be a good time right now. (laughs) And you listen to that, and it's so profound and so incredibly sad because if Jesus returns right now, Joe Rogan and Aaron Rodgers are not going to heaven. They want the kingdom of God to come on the earth So they don't have to worry about a war in Ukraine or artificial intelligence or nuclear threats, et cetera, et cetera. Because they realize, because of the sinful nature of man, how chaotic and unmanageable it's gotten to where there's almost no way to look at the future and the course of our own civilization and see it from anything but collapsing at some point to something. And these atheistically minded people are so stressed out about it, like, man, it would be great if, If we could just be like divinely rescued from all of this. And that is what the kingdom of God will do. But first, there will be a judgment. And that, that is why there is a cross. If you want to know what it's like to be a Christian, it's like a man who came from heaven, who went to a cross to pay for your sin, so that when you die... You do not have to meet God as a criminal, but you can meet him instead as a son or a daughter. If I wanted to pay for your sin on the cross, I couldn't do it. I would do that for my own kids if I could. Some of your parents or grandparents, you probably feel the same way. If I thought my child was going to go to hell when they died, I would, I would be willing to go. I'd give my life if it meant them going to heaven, but I'm not qualified to do that. Do you know why? I am not a man from heaven. I am not Jesus. I am not righteous. I'm a sinner. If I go to a cross, if I die, I'm getting what I deserve. Jesus was no no sinner. He can offer himself as an acceptable sacrifice. I can offer myself as a sacrifice. Jesus can offer himself as an acceptable sacrifice to a righteous God who can't do what we do all the time and just brush our hands and say, I don't worry about your evil, it's no big deal. That is not a righteous and holy God. That's not how God's going to deal with Hitler. I don't worry about it. It's no big deal. And that's not how God's going to deal with me. I don't worry about it. It's no big deal. He is righteous and just, and he's going to deal with sin. And rather than condemn every man and woman to hell, he instead has sent his only son to go to a cross. So that sin can be dealt with at the cross by the blood of Jesus instead of in eternal hell by the blood of Reggie. And to be a Christian is to become a follower of this man to listen to His teaching, to learn from Him, to commit your life to following Him in anticipation of a return, believing wholeheartedly that the Lord Jesus, who has come to save us, will not leave us here to rot and ruin for all eternity. Peter says it this way, the Lord Jesus is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slothfulness slowness but he is patient desiring that all should come to repentance Jesus has not returned to this earth he didn't show up yesterday do you know what that means yeah it means we still have to deal with things like nuclear threats and pandemics and artificial intelligence and manipulative leaders and economies and jobs tomorrow that we have to. yeah it means all that stuff you know what else it means you have today to repent you have today to trust Jesus and become a follower of Jesus Christ. You have another day not to be damned before him, like this third wicked servant who knew his master, who, who, who knew what his master wanted, and decided to live his life according to his own standards in his own way. Now uh, you have a chance to do better than that. If you've taken this life that God's given you and you're just buried in the ground, you're like, I don't care what God wants me, I'm going to live my own way. When Jesus returns, You're going to give an account for that. Jesus hasn't returned. You have a chance to do something. You can be a disciple of Christ. And you can hear one day, well well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's how I endeavor to live. Not a perfect person. You know me. Many of you know me. I'm a sinner. Screw things up all the time. But I endeavor to hear one day when I meet the Lord Jesus Christ... Well done, good and faithful servant. Because I'm perfect? Because I did more right than wrong? No, because Jesus has saved me from my sin. I've spent my life trying to learn and follow Him. You can do that too. You can do that too. Pray with me, will you? Father, I thank you for your love for us and for your faithfulness to us. I don't know where people stand spiritually around this room. uh, But, Father, I I assume that there are some here today who have uh, ignored you or been ambivalent towards you, have never considered these things this way before. And, Father, I pray that you'd work in their heart right now. You are my Father. I know you can work in their lives. I pray that you will. Convince them of the wisdom and the joy that comes in serving you instead of serving themselves. Bring them into your family. Save their souls. Help them to trust you for the forgiveness of their sin. And to find life and peace in following you. As we receive tithes and offerings, as we move towards baptism, Father, pray that you'll do good things. With the resources that we have, that you'll give us wisdom that will accomplish things for your kingdom, and that, Father, as we celebrate the baptism of, of a man and wife who have given their lives, sur- surrendered their lives to become disciples of your Son, Jesus, that we'll be reminded that you've done this great thing in our own lives too, those of us who are saved, and encourage those of us who are not your disciples, that we are not far from it. Bless our time together. in Jesus.